Hello, Gary. Aaron, how are you? Good. Good to hear you. I don't see you yet, but you're getting there. Ah, no, you won't be seeing me. You, you can. Um, I just, I just don't use video. Oh, okay. I'll shut mine off. You, well, you can. Yeah, actually, yeah, because I find it to be a distraction. Actually, that's much okay. better. Yeah. <laughs> Especially having to look at me. <laughs> well, you know, actually, you look pretty good for an old fart. <laughs> you're you're about the only guy I know that's older than me. So, <laughs> all the rest have died off, huh? Uh, well, I, you know, actually, the truth is, I've been a hermit for so long. I just don't know anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you live in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How do you be? How how can you hermitize in Orange County? Oh, it's easy. You just live in your cell, and uh, you know you. I mean, I, I I I can. I have to work two days a week, so I you know I go in and I deal. I deal with Homo sapiens uh, quite well. It's just uh, for the most part, I find it to be sort of a drag. So uh, aside from having mandatory relations with them, I stay at home. <laughs> I see. And and I forgot, you know, I need to catch up a little bit on what I remember about you. About what age did you start uh, um, waking up, structuring, <laughs> structuring your life that way? Oh, um, well, it, it began for me when I was 21, when I woke up from the trance of language. Uh, I don't know if we've talked uh -huh. about that or not, but... But, uh, no, but I'd be interested to know how that wake-up call came. Oh, well, it, it's a good story, actually, and I think it's uh, an interesting one in that, you know, most of the people that I know or suspect who have woken up from something or other, it seems that it sort of comes out of the blue. I mean, they've all studied and, you know, afterwards, <laughs> you know, and learned stuff. But at least in my yes. case, it was I was living in Manhattan Beach. I was 21 years old. I had no interest in anything but girls, uh, TV, cars. Well, that's about it. Girls, TV, cars. Oh, and, and probably drugs. Yeah, okay. And so th those were the okay. only things I was interested in. And I lived in Manhattan Good. Beach in summertime. It was great. I, and it was summer, 1967. I went down to the liquor store to buy some, some cigarettes because I smoked at that time. Summer of 1967. That uh, must have Manhattan Beach. Good uh, God. It, it was awesome. I hit it just right, you know. Oh, it, sure it was amazing. But actually, I was in the Air Force at the time, so that sort of hampered things <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but in any case, uh, I walked into the liquor store, and as I entered the liquor store, coming from the other direction going into the liquor store, about one pace ahead of me, was the most beautiful, the most sexy the most amazing girl I'd ever seen in my life with the tiniest bikini I think I'd ever seen in my life. And I was, yeah. I was sort of stunned. You know, I mean, literally, I just sort of stood there with my jaw loose, you know. And she walked in, and then I walked in after her, and apparently I was sort of following her around the store, just gawking at her. And she turned around yeah. and gave me a sort of nasty look, and then I realized, oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> you know? And I looked next to me, and there was a book rack, a, a, a used book rack. So I grabbed a book off there and held it in front of my face and pretended like I was reading it when I was really staring at her ass. 
and, yeah. every, and everything else. And, and, the, and the next thing I knew, some guy is saying, do you want anything else? And I sort of that snapped me out of my trance. And I was at the cash register, and I had this book in my hand. And I said, give me a pack of Lucky Strikes. And, they get, and the book was 10 cents. It was some used book. And um, so I, by that time, she'd is left it, the store. Uh, uh, Pardon? It's interesting, it's interesting to me that the cigarettes were Lucky Strikes. Yeah, non the little stubbies. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm saying lucky strike. Ah, yeah. Well, that it had always that was the first lucky strike I ever had. <laughs> that, that's what I mean. That's, so, what was the book? Well, anyway, that's the thing. I, I I came home. I went home with my cigarettes, opened them up, started smoking, tossed the book in the trash can. Uh, but I missed the trash can, and it landed on the floor. Next, next to the trash can. I had no intention of reading it. Uh, I'd never read a book in my life. I mean, why would anybody read a book when they can watch TV, you know? So anyway, uh, the book remained on the floor for some time. I don't remember just when. or You know, it's sort, it's sort of vague because, it, it, you know, I didn't know. Anyway, at, at some point, apparently my television broke or something, and in desperation, I picked this book up and read it. And... <laughs> The book was by Alan Watts, and it was called The Supreme Identity, an essay on Oriental metaphysics and the Christian religion. Just the kind of book yeah. I was looking for. <laughs> oh, how great. In any case, honestly, within about I, – I, and this is all sort of vague, but it was at the first reading, within a f- X number of pages, I don't know what happened, but – I, I at some point I I put the book down, and I didn't I didn't have this language to talk about what happened to me. So what happened to me at that point was something I was really dumbfounding. Uh, the experience yes. I had was that everything I knew was wrong. Everything I thought I knew about me and the world and everything else was just the story I'd been sold. Um, but again, that was that wasn't the way I I talked about it. I just knew that. Uh, my view of reality was just this one little tiny narrow thing that I'd been programmed with and that in reality the universe... Yeah. Well, that couldn't have come to you. It didn't come to you in words at that time. What was the feeling Well, well the, the feeling... Well, like I say, it's, well, yeah, it's not words. The language doesn't go there. <laughs> you know? Right. It was, it was a little bit scary or, or even a lot scary, actually. Good, yeah, good. I get. Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, well, the whole world, my whole concept of reality collapsed. Exactly. You know, in in five seconds. <laughs> so that, that that triggered a certain kind of fear, not the kind of fear like you're going to be eaten by a lion, but a well, well, no, kind not like that. It was exciting too. I mean, it was liberating. It was scary. Yeah. It was all that shit. You know. <laughs> But it, but I never recovered. The main thing is I never really recovered from that. Uh, from that day on, I was a different human being. From that moment on. Uh, That's so interesting. Yeah, and, and and again, the thing is, it just it just there was no preparation for that. I didn't work my way into that. It just came out of the fucking blue. A few, I mean, if I'd read that same book a day earlier or a day later, <laughs> you know, who knows what would have happened. At, at that moment, it happened. In my mind, that's the only way it can come. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's, that's, that's part of why I'm torn in trying to teach this stuff, because people have this idea that you approach 
uh, liberation somehow, that you get closer and closer to it. And that's not been my experience. The experience and most of the people I know who've had these kinds of experiences basically have very similar stories to mine. I don't Did know very read, many people uh, who, who actually studied and approached and got more and more enlightened until they finally got enlightened. No, they, it's impossible because that would be a path that someone else yeah, has laid out yeah, for them, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's nonsense. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. Did you ever read, um, not J. Krishnamurti, but U.G. Krishnamurti? Well, I'm familiar of him. I, I haven't read any of his stuff. I've seen some video of <laughs> him and... <laughs> He, well, he said very much what you're saying. He said that whatever happened to me, he had no. He had studied all the esoteric shit from in, in <laughs> India when he was. Young. Yeah. And he said none of that could prepare him. Yeah, yeah. Well, there isn't any preparation for waking up. I don't think. I, I think I when it, when the time, although it's not. I mean. It, I, I do think, though, that there is work to be done here. You know, I think this is, can happen to more and more people and is happening to more and more people. And, and if we know more about it, we might be able to make this easier for it to happen to more and more people. Well, I, I'm, I liken it to when I used to give music lessons. Uh, I could tell when someone came in whether they, quote unquote, were musical. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't teach them to be musical. No. But I could teach them all the stuff that would allow their musicality to express itself. And if there is any music in them, then maybe it'll come out. Who knows? Right. And I couldn't make it happen. No, you can't. No. But I'll tell you. I'll give you. I'll tell you a story now. Okay. I first moved to LA in '64, and I was giving music lessons to try to earn a living. And a mother brought her 12-year-old son. Uh, his name was Mike. What was your instrument? I mean, you're teaching keyboard or keyboard. Okay. But I was actually really teaching harmony and yeah, music. Stuff. I <laughs> yeah. was not a a pianist, you know. I, I yeah. could piano, but I wasn't a pianist. Yeah, I got it. So yep. he, yeah. he 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 was more accomplished as a pianist than I was. He played classical music, but uh -huh. he didn't know music and he couldn't improvise or yeah, thing like that. Yeah. Did so, he have any feeling for what he was playing? Um, well, I'll, let me tell okay. you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. I didn't have the words for it at the time, but he was very shame-prone. Shame? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, so he was very embarrassed just to be alive. <laughs> well, aren't we all? I mean, isn't that what we were told? But he was especially embarrassed in front of his mother. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So I said to his mother by the end of the lesson, I said, uh, could, could Michael and I meet alone together next week? She agreed, and they came next week, and she left. And I looked at Michael, and he looked at me, and I said, Michael, you really don't want to be here, do you? <laughs> he says, no. Nah, no, not really. <laughs> not really. I said, I, I, have, I have an idea. What I would like you to do is that show me on the piano what you felt driving over here on the freeway. I said, you don't have to play any particular notes. Just show me what you felt. Using your hands on the piano. Oh. He said, really? I said, yeah, really. And he proceeded to pound the shit out of the piano. Yeah. And by the time he was exhausted, we looked at each other and broke out laughing. <laughs> oh. 
Now he's now he's ready for music now lessons. He's ready for music, and I, I could I could sense his musicality, and but I needed to find out yeah. where it could best express itself. Yeah, yeah. as a pianist. Yeah, I found out it was as a composer. Mm-hmm. I got him to compose a few little melodies, and pretty soon he was composing very elaborate ones. And I put words to it for him, and he just blossomed. And wow. we were together for two years, and then they moved away. I don't know whatever happened to him, but we had quite a connection. Wow, so yeah. I think that is kind of the metaphor for That's a good one. talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have to get invested with the person. You can't teach. Well, no, they have to get invested with me. Huh? Or with the eye. They have to be. The problem I find is that student, there, aren't, there aren't that many students who actually want, you know, well, at least I, yeah, that's the issue, I guess. Can you find that part of them? I have not found it easy to get in touch with any part of the students that I thought really wanted to learn anything. I see. You know, they say they want to learn, but they don't, <laughs> they don't. You know, you can tell, it's, it's and that's, well, that's, how do we get around that? You know? They want to do it as an accomplishment, well, that and because it's, it's it seems like a neat idea, and it, and they like the idea, and but they, think they will gain something. Well, they hope they will. Probably yeah. there's there. You, most people I know are sophisticated enough to be very skeptical. <laughs> so yeah. they're hoping, but they think, nah, probably not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know when people would come for music lessons, they'd say, "I want to play piano." And I was very skeptical. I didn't. Most of them really didn't want to play the piano. They wanted to be popular. They, they wanted to be known for playing the piano. Known, right. <laughs> yeah, well, he plays the piano. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone would come in and they would really love the piano. Uh, yeah. Right. There you they go. They didn't care where it got to them to. They yeah. just were into the process of playing the piano. Yeah. Yeah. What percent? I mean, that's rare. I mean, what percentage of the people you ran into were in that category? About two. Two percent or two period. Two percent. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's two period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, why is that? What is it? Uh, is it that we're? Is it there and we just can't g- get access to it, or is are they really devoid of this? Should we just give up on them or <laughs> turn it over to Bob or what? I, I, well, know. let's explore that. <laughs> turn it over to Bob. <laughs> My first mentor was named Bob. Oh, really, Bob? Who? Bob Filling, uh-huh. F-Y-L-L-I-N-G. Yeah. Nope. He just died a few years ago. Uh, right? Your mentor in what? Life. Life. Well, okay. So oh, okay. I was 21. He was about 25. But he was so much more worldly than I was. He introduced me to psychology and philosophy ah, okay. in ways that I never got in college. Yeah, cool. Music, music that he was a musician, and he introduced yeah. me to composers I had never dreamed of. Yeah, like who? Um, let's say um, Olivier Messiaen. Oh, okay. All right, yeah. Um, I could go into yeah, another. Yeah. Okay, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's obviously playing he a was, different game than the people who are listening to Britney Spears or <laughs> whoever it was at the time. Uh, he was a jazz musician, and I was a very, uh, very. I was a jazz singer at the time, and he just led me through sheer enthusiasm and interest. He had yeah. no no skin in the game, like yeah, to produce something. No, yeah, 
He was just doing what he was doing because that's what he does. And he did that with a lot of young guys. Yeah, good. Yeah, so he was a great mentor to begin with because he was so open. That's part of what's been good for me and the Internet is that I've been able to influence pretty strongly a handful of people, young people, you know, in their early teens who uh, were facing some big questions and didn't really have a clue as to how to even begin to approach it, you know. and uh, Whatever they thought the it was. Well, yeah, you know, they were just, they, you know, at that age, you know, as a teenager in a you, modern America, you, if you're not fucked up, you're not paying attention. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> you know. So anyway, I mean, I was able to, you know, again, general semantics is really, you know, it's, I mean, it's basic, simple stuff, but it's powerful. Now, I, you know, we talked so long ago. I want to hear again. So from that awakening with Alan Watts, yeah, what led you to Korzybski? Korzybski, okay, Korzybski was step two. Um, I always tell people that there were three people. Uh, Alan Watts got my spiritual virginity. Alfred Korzybski knocked me up. And, and Ray Kurzweil delivered the baby. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, it, after 10, 10 years, it took 10 years. Uh, so I was 21 when I uh, discovered Watts. When you got knocked up. Yeah. And uh, at uh, 30, I'm not quite sure because it was, it, you know, what this didn't, didn't happen in a moment. You know, this the, the other one was so unforgettable because literally within – three or five seconds my entire world crumbled <laughs> you know so there there hasn't been anything quite that profound since. time is irrelevant when what what you're talking about right yeah yeah but but the korzybski process uh, occurred over several months and it went in my 30s and basically what i'd been doing um during that 10 years was meditating seriously meditating and uh, going to lots of lectures and workshops and reading books and writing, keeping my journal and and, uh, and doing that pretty, you know, dogmatically. <laughs> That's not the right word. But anyway, doing that consistently for about 10 years. And at the end of that time, I, re- I came to this realization that I was much better at talking about all this shit. I had a lot of people fooled. But the truth was I was no closer to what it was I w- thought I was looking for. Than, than I had been before. But the one thing I noticed was that everything I was doing was activity in the domain of language. Mm-hmm. You know, reading, writing, speaking, and hearing. <laughs> you know, it, that was what I was doing. That was the process. And, and I had the good fortune to have a mentor when I was in college, too, um, a, a guy named Mike Romanoff, who in fact is a descendant of the Romanoff dynasty in Russia. He, if they were still in power, he would have been Prince Michael. <laughs> you know? well, I, I've heard of him. What, what was what was he into? Uh, well, he was a geography uh, professor. He he actually had done some pretty good work uh, on Maya city layout. All right, no, he's not the one I heard of. But anyway, go on. Any, well, in, in any case, uh, he turned me on to uh, Korzybski. He said, you need to read this. This I used to just hang out with him. He was a professor. I was a student, but I, 
I used to just sort of hang around and, you know, just pick his brain whenever I could because I realized the guy was quite unique and interesting. And uh, and he was real open with it. And, and, what school was that? Uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills. Okay. So anyway, uh, I read Korzybski, and l- likewise, I never recovered from that. You know, th- th- that totally th- – that was when I realized. See, as a result of that, what I – what I realized was there are two ways to dispose, or at least two ways, to dispose of a nagging question. One is to find an answer for that question that satisfies your nagging curiosity, and that's the end of it. The other is to see through the question and to realize that just because it, it's grammatically in the structure of a sentence with a question mark at the end of it doesn't make it an actual question if the words themselves are meaningless. Absolutely. And that, uh, so the, and the clear example is, or what's his name, um, Chomsky's Colorless Green Ideas Sleep Furiously. Nobody's going to lose sleep over do colorless green ideas sleep furiously. <laughs> you know, it... It's obviously a proper grammatical structure, but semantically it's literally nonsense. It's meaningless. And that's, well, that's what, uh, when I realized that, I started trying to formulate all these questions that I'd been trying to answer through meditation and lectures and under, you know, trying to put my world view back together after it collapsed. Uh, at this point, oh shit! You know, I've lost just where I was going with You're that. Saying that, that everything was was around language. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, yeah, I realized that. Okay, yeah, I was. So I tried. I started looked, rewriting all of the questions that I've been trying to answer. Yeah, no, no I, I know where I am now. Okay. I, I, what I with this knowledge that I that I gained, I, I realized that that. All this stuff was language based, and therefore probably it'd be useful to learn something about language, since that's what it's all about anyway. So, in, and in, Korzybski was there. So, what I did is I tried. I started applying the principles of Korzybski, or Korzybski's principles in trying to write out the questions that I had been trying to answer for all these years, uh-huh. and I found that I couldn't. <laughs> And at first I figured it was my fault. I was too stupid to to figure out what these questions were. And then it dawned on me that there wasn't any question there. <laughs> you know, that the question was really just a linguistic pathology. Yes. It was just this this idea of words in my head that went around and around and were connected up in these sort of vicious circles and they went around and around and around. And they had nothing to do with anything. There's no way to make any coherent linguistic sense out of it. So the answer isn't in answering the question. It's like in the question dissolving before your eyes. Exactly. And, yeah. and most of all the questions that were like that involve multi-ordinality. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I usually talk about uh, reification. You know, it's just these highly abstract words that could mean any goddamn thing in the world, you know. That's right. And uh, until you decide what they actually mean, they don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. (laughs) You know, it's just a bunch of puffs of air. But we have a lot of emotional attachment to these these puffs of air. We're we're familiar with saying these things. We like hearing them said. Yes. And, uh, And we're addicted to that. 
until you see through it, though. That's the thing is that with general <laughs> semantics, I was able to see through all of that shit. You don't know what means that love is the answer? <laughs> <laughs> love is all you need, man. <laughs> <laughs> And Jesus, you know. <laughs> yeah, but at least, at least Jesus points to something. Um, a person, a historical. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, love. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's a somewhat abstract concept now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that so Korzybski, uh That was Korzybski. Uh, now, what year was that? I, I was probably th- early 30s, so uh, that, and I was born in 46, so um, 76, 70, 76 to 80, maybe somewhere around in there. Oh, see, I graduated from college in 83, so I might have been older. I don't know. Anyway, it was probably in the early 80s. Uh, during that time, did you ever come across Bois? I don't remember when I got on to Bois. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't remember where he came into the picture. Uh, reading him didn't rock anything for me. It just was more confirmation and and a better book than, than yeah, science and sanity. If you're trying to pass it on, yeah. But I didn't get much out of the book in that in any other sense that I that I didn't already know. It was just you know. But it was. But I read lots of books that I didn't, that I. You know, because it was still helping me solidify my own ideas around these things. Sure, so, sure. But it just wasn't anything really deep. So I don't really remember uh, when I stumbled onto Bois. Uh-huh. Or which book? Uh, it was probably The Art of Awareness. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that's it. Well, the first or one might have been Breeds Explorations. Of Men. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might have read Breeds of Men oh, okay. back there somewhere, too. Uh-huh. I don't remember. You know, it's my memory is. I don't know if it's early onset Alzheimer's. It seems to me that it's just. You know, it, I can. Uh, I can. Re- I, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> you uh, know about uh, now, what happened then. <laughs> Breeds of Men uh, took Korzybski to a, a a new place, in that he Bois brought what Bois brought to um, general semantics was was there in seed form. In Korzybski, and that's the whole notion of the evolution of the episteme, mm-hmm. the different contexts in which thought had formulated itself. Yeah. So that's something that that uh, Korzybski did not. He he didn't really fully bring out the context of abstracting. Yeah, he he's. You can tell he was aware of it and he even noted it, but he right. just didn't go into it. Right. <laughs> you know, he just about, sort of yeah mentioned he it. About in three, three periods. Yeah. And Bois brought in five periods, yeah, and, and elaborated on each one. Right, yeah. For me, uh, one of the big uh, ideas that really sh- put things in perspective was Alvin Toffler's Third Wave. Yes, uh, are you familiar with that? Sure. Uh, yeah. Okay. Because seeing it all through the terms of technological structures that change human relations from agriculture to industry to information. Yes. And how each of those demands an entirely different social structure. Yes. And, and that obviously means different individual <laughs> structures. And, and uh, that that's part of what we're going through right now is this third wave, this uh, information uh, civilization that is emerging now that's going to eliminate nation states and, 
and religions as we know them and most uh, most of the old ways of doing things are, are you know were designed to serve the industrial state but that's, if we can survive the change well that remains to be seen <laughs> yeah. but i have a little different take uh-huh. um we went from the information phase to a a, a new phase uh, and I, I discovered it through the work of Sylvan Tompkins in, in the function of affect and cognition. Mm-hmm. Affect is the function of the first order experience. It's the closest to the, the nerve endings. It amplifies, it's part of the abstracting process. It actually filters out what will come in and what is left out. So, yeah, okay. So, but, okay. Where does ex- my personal immediate experience before it gets languagefied. Well, affect is part of it. Is that, okay, it's, it's, it's only motiv- part of that. It's the motivational aspect of the of your immediate experience. I don't understand that. The motivational. Okay, whatever signals come into the system or go out of the system have to be amplified. Well, they, certainly there's a lot of processing of some. I'm not sure amplification. Well, amplification is, means making well, it bigger to bring it into consciousness. Uh, okay, I'll go with that. Because there are billions of signals hitting us all at once. There yeah, have, and most of it gets filtered out almost immediately. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Right, yeah. But what gets amplified by affect is what comes into the system. By affect. Affect, A-F-F. No, I know, I know the word. I'm just trying to figure out how... I don't see how by adding the words affect adds anything to this. To what? To the fact that uh, I, I end up here with experience. Well, it, which you know, which leaves out the idea that there's anything out there causing the experience. It doesn't even consider that. It just says, "Here I am. I'm experiencing all this stuff." Well, you you can uh, when you start to look at that experience. In a way that where you can differentiate different functions within that experience, you can learn something. Oh, absolutely. Okay. See, that's where language, that's what we do with language. We, right. we have experience, which everything has. Hell, yeah. rocks have experience. Right. <laughs> you know? oh, but you don't, oh, you don't think so? What? You don't think rocks have experience? Well, I have no idea. Ah, okay, well, neither do I, really. I'm assuming they do. I'm assuming everything reacts to its environment. We do it in very special yeah. ways. But what makes us, what makes creatures that move in space special is that they, they, they have in common an affect system. Uh, okay. Okay, I think we're probably, you know, you've just added a, le- a well, you, a word. It, I don't think I'm in disagreement with that. I just don't see what it's adding. It's you know, all you're saying is you, you're just positing this, what, black box that's doing something? No, no, it's part of the brain. Uh-huh. Well, it's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty black box. <laughs> oh, no, it's, a, it's part of the, uh, uh, the old... Yeah. The old brain, the... Yeah, yeah brain. okay. Ah, okay, and, yeah. And the... And the um, Mammalian brain. Ah, you see, ah, but you see, see from my perspective, all of this is talk. This is all theory stuff. There, whether or not all of that really is the way it is doesn't really make any difference. There is no really in my right. book. Oh, okay, good. All right. So this is this. Okay, now I'm in agreement or I'm in alignment. I think again, we got our experience. 
and now we start talking about our experience and using yeah. language to categorize it and order it somehow. And so we we look at what is motivational in our experience. What what actually makes the experience appear to feel important? What's urging me to pay attention? What what uh, in my experience? Uh, okay, uh, okay. Attention. Ah, and there you can find a couple levels. I mean, there's obviously the biological level. If you're not getting any air, that's quite motivational. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not? No, it, it is not. I would say it'd be motivating so to try and find to, some air. You're going by the old um, uh, drive theory. Well, I'm, have you ever been without air? I have. I used but to it's surf. <laughs> it's a very strong urge. Without, without, no, no. Listen to me. <laughs> okay. Just listen. Air, losing air, you just die. Well, unless you can get some air. But what makes it urgent? You see, the drive shows up, the lack of air shows up in the lungs. It's specific. But the urgency is all over the body, and that's the function of affect. Uh, okay, okay, the brain, all right, the brain's response to, affect, to this situation. Okay. Affect magnifies the drives and makes them urgent. Hmm. Okay. I, 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 and it has receptors all over the body. It's not located in one particular place. That's what makes it a very important idea to at least think about a little bit. Okay. Now that's the trend that is the motivational part of the system. The cognition is the transformational part of the system. It takes all the general information of the affect. For example, let's take the affect of anger. I'm only talking biologically. The by the affect of yeah. anger is a signal within the system where for the organism it feels like some it's way too much. But it doesn't tell you what is way too much. That's the function of cognition, to come in and take the general information and make it more specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm pissed within, off. Now, what the hell am I pissed off about? Right. So with, within, <laughs> yeah. most of the time, you're imagining what you're pissed off about. The, 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 the first order experience is silent. And then it's your imagination comes in and says, oh, this is what I'm angry about. Yeah. Well, at first you have to notice that you're angry. That's something that I've had some some experience with, and uh, and it took me a long time, years actually, before I got to the point where I understood. Uh, oh, I got it. I'm pissed off. I probably ought to look at my language machine and see what's going on. No, <laughs> you know, you're pissed off because you're pissed off. Period. Uh, well, that's. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but what I'm suggesting is, in my case, in these anger situations, that uh, what I found when I, when I discovered that I was angry, what I discovered is that I had been caught up in one of the stories running in my language machine. Of course. And that that's, notice, that's but, but, but that's exactly the point, though, is that once I, with the training I'd done in language, noticing that stopped it. Right. Immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so the anger wasn't even an issue. The issue was becoming conscious enough to notice when I was angry so that that would tell me, okay, I'm angry, look at the language machine. And that even that, even that, act, that action, the, the idea of turning my attention to studying something rather than being angry already derails the anger. But don't you understand the affects only last a few seconds? 
Well, it depends on what you well no, it depends on the situation. So, that's one of the things you find is there's some situation if a bear is chasing you. Just listen to me for oh, 2 minutes. Okay. All right. I you know, words only come out one at a time. I can't give it to you all at once. Okay, sorry. Um All right, then in that case, let me let me get a pencil because uh you know, you're saying things that I'm not clear about, and I'm going to have to question you about it afterwards. And if I don't stop you now, then it'll be gone. <laughs> so, I understand. Okay. All right. There, biologically speaking, affects are triggered outside of consciousness. When they achieve enough momentum we become conscious that an affect had been triggered. It's, it's similar to the hunger drive. The, the dropping of blood sugar happens outside of consciousness, and at some point you feel a feeling that you recognize as hunger. So that's the conscious phase of the process. So feeling is a conscious phase of the affect. Now, as soon as that feeling is taken up by memory, it becomes an emotion which is what most people are conscious of is their emotions, not the affect. The affect has no content. The emotions are fraught with content, with all the stories of the past and everything. If a person can learn to distinguish between a passing affective feeling and the story they add to it, they will pass quickly without mm -hmm. being magnified. Right, yeah. I got okay. no problem with any so of that. So the Buddha, whoever, they all lived they all had anger affects they all had shame affects they also had uh, everything yeah there were just fear. people like you and me yeah, exactly <laughs> biologically yeah they learned they learned the difference between an affect and an emotion well and what this is what i would talk about putting a story on top of it that's yeah. right yeah I mean, once you yeah it's an affect with the story yeah yeah now if your students can learn in their first order experience, their experience to distinguish a feeling silently from mm, yeah. the, what before they add a story to it, yeah. yeah, or even after the story, they can, yeah. they can yeah, it, yeah, you're right, yeah. There's a difference, yeah. Now you got a story for it. So there's nothing I'm telling. A lot of times, though, the affect is created by the story. No. It well, it's the story, and then the story reacts on it and magnifies it. Well. That's how okay. it's... Okay, all right, all right, all right. Uh, well, no, I'm thinking like, okay, wait, would, would you call fear an affect? Yes. Okay. Uh, we learn. We have to learn what to be afraid of. So don't tell me that fear is completely biological, because it's not. There is that, too. Uh, Heron, but, I'm not saying that it, it is completely anything. Okay. I'm saying that you're born with six primary feelings that you don't have to learn. You don't have to learn how to be afraid. You have to learn what to be afraid of, but you don't have to learn how to be afraid. Every infant knows how to be afraid. It knows how to be in distress. It knows how to laugh and be in excitement. It knows joy. It doesn't have to learn those six basics. Okay, okay. Uh. And it's on that front, that's the low order. That is the first order. Within the first order, that is not learned. And then we take it up into what we've learned. And what we've learned becomes more important 
than the fact that we have those basic resources. It is what makes us uh, human. And what you say there are six. What are the six? Okay, there are six basic ones and three auxiliary ones. The two, there are two positives, and I'm putting them on a, on a spectrum from mild to more intense. Okay. Okay. The first is enjoyment or contentment to joy. Okay. The second is interest to excitement. And I can show you the faces. Yeah, no, I, I, actually, I've read, you gave me some stuff to read. Okay. I, this is coming back to me now, so, yeah. Third, the third one is neutral. It is not positive or negative because it happens very quickly, which is surprise to startle. Yeah. Okay. Which can then turn into fear or, or, or interest or something, yeah. Surprise startle is, yeah. A, is a system reset. Okay. Ah. Whatever you were concerned with before, when you're surprised or startled, yeah, forget about it. Yeah, that's gone. Now you're facing something new. Yeah. Okay. Then there are three negatives. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> the negative means that they are various degrees of feeling punishing. It's not you being punished. The system doesn't like it. Yeah. Well, it's something you what you want to get away from. Yeah. yeah, it tells you to, this is not good. I don't want to be in this. Yeah. Okay, yes. so there's fear to terror. Okay. Anger to rage. Okay. And distress to anguish. Distress to anguish. Okay. Uh, I can't imagine distress without fear. They are two distinctly different uh, signatures you can they have been measured they they are distinctly different signatures of stimulation within the organism well i'll let it go i, I i'm not convinced on that one but that's okay no, think of an infant coming out of the womb they're not frightened they are in distress well see i would say they're not in anything yes they yeah, are they're they're just they're, crying they're, what is that it's crying no it's distress distress is the ex- crying is an expression of distress the affect of distress is expressing itself. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just—I don't—I'm trying to figure out how what I'm supposed to do with this because I don't think I don't—I don't see it adding any anything new. It sounds like we're putting. We're la- just saying, I'm just giving you the ABCs. Okay, all right, but I'm trying to figure out the. Why. I haven't built it into. Yeah, words. yeah. See, because uh, part of. Well, see, because I've been through a lot of this stuff myself, and I've come up with some different mappings here, and I'm trying to figure out how your mappings and my mappings overlap. And in order to do that, I've got to stop you and ask. Well, they don't overlap. Well, I think they do. I mean, there's a lot in common between what you're saying and and what my thoughts and ideas around all this stuff. My basic assumption is that affect is the basic motivational system of the organism, and cognition is biased by affect. Affect motivates cognition, cognition transforms and magnifies affect. That's my basic assumption. Okay. All right. Well, go th- okay, you said there were, okay, we got the last three. Okay, See, there be- are three auxiliaries. Yeah. We don't need to go in. And again, fear and anger, they may be different, but there's no temporal order in any of this, in, in any of this stuff? No. Because it seems to me, my experience is fear is, is more, is not, what am I saying? Fear is primary. Anger means that you've already had to process it and categorize it as something 
to be no. feared, and then you get angry. No, 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 no. Okay. I can show you infants in rage. I've got films of it. I've got pictures of it. And I can show you them in fear. Their eyes are entirely different. Their yeah. I'm not different. saying they're the same thing. I'm, I'm, distress is different. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that they're the same thing. I'm saying that they're they're not so easily separable. Is is and I think you'd probably agree with that. Is they are not separable at all. Okay, because yeah, they're all going on all at the same time. But, but <laughs> if you want to think about affect, you cannot use the adult experience. You have to go. To the infant's experience, yeah, and and go from there. Yeah, well, th- this is why they have no what I call emotional inertia, because they don't have stories at that stage, That's and you correct. and they can change Im- immediately, immediately from rage into giggling within two seconds. Exactly, <laughs> but and an adult can't. Time. Well, actually, an adult can do that, but that scene is a form of pathology. In an well, they learn to <laughs> modulate the affect. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have the kind of inertia. You know, uh, of course, and the one, the big preventive of expressing of affect is shame. That regulates all affect expression. Mm, okay. You don't express certain things because of the way that you're going to be regarded in the social order. Yeah, well, at least how you imagine you're going to be yeah, regarded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there is a biological shame that most people do not ever recognize, in the, uh, even in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the biological shame is auxiliary to the two positive affects. It is the signal that tells you that something's blocking you from your interest and or your enjoyment. And it's the signal that says something's impeding that. And let's look at, find out what it is that's impeding it. But instead of looking to find out what's impeding it, you go hide from it. Or you disavow it, or you try to uh, uh, um, through stabilize your self-image. It's a, the the running from shame is the attempt to stabilize your self-image. Hmm. So what I'm saying about the the Toffler thing is that the information age is is giving way. To what I call the age of transformation. Oh, I agree with you. There is, a, yeah, in that sense, I don't think the the information age was just. Well, information yeah. is transformation. Information is taking the general and making it specific. And well, it does the other too, doesn't it? It takes the specific and makes the general. Well, no, that's if you go up into the higher order abstraction. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, okay, well, but that's I'm certainly all part of the, the silent yeah. level and yeah. the symbol level. Yeah. The silent level is always general information. There is no you in it. There is no... Oh, see, I would say that's very specific. That's not general at all. It's actually... It's general in the, in the, only in the sense... There's no I involved in it, though. Right. That's for it's sure. General, in, general is multi-ordinal. I'm putting it in a... Oh, context. okay. All right. General means that... If, I f- if there's anger coming up, it doesn't tell you what to be angry at. It is general information saying something is way too much for the system. Does the I come into existence? In, where does the I fit into this? Once a language is acquired. Well, okay, but, so, but I mean in, in these affects, once you have language. There is no I in affect. Okay, well, but even... Okay, that's but what I'm trying... There is no cuisine 
mm -hmm. in the hunger drive. Cuisine is the transformation of a general information that's time to eat. Well, like I said, I'm having trouble um, reconciling this with, like I say, my own ideas about all these things. I'm trying to fix Just presenting it to you as, as I, the way that I have, have come to, and if it doesn't fit with what you have come to, I understand. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I'm telling well, you... Well, it's, it's, this is a problem I've run into before. It's, it's, it's a common one, actually, because you've done your own work and come to your own conclusions... And they're unique, you know. I mean, they're obviously seeded by other people's ideas, but you've done a lot of a lot of thinking and come up with your own formulations on how this stuff goes together, and so have I. Yes. When I talk to most people, I've talked to this is all new stuff to. They've never thought about anything, and therefore they, when they listen to me talk, uh, they don't have any objections. Because they don't even know what the fuck I'm talking they, about. They wouldn't know what to expect. <laughs> you know. So. Well, now I, I have kind of laid out some very basic things. Yeah. And I will, in turn, will be silent and listen to what you have to say. I'm, I'm putting yeah. aside, I'm suspending my values, what I've learned, yeah. and I will listen to you. Uh. It's too bad I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Damn. Next time I'll be better prepared. <laughs> All I would say, you know, I'll, I will repeat what I what I post on my Facebook page at least once a week, and, and I haven't done it for a week or so, so I need to put it up again. And that's the voice in your head is not something you are doing. It's something happening to you. I agree. And um, th that's about the end of it. As far as I'm concerned, if a person really could get that, that's the whole game. Yeah. One, in, the in person. Way, who, yeah. In a way, it's not even happening to you. You think it's happening. No, of course there isn't any you there, but you can't start off at that point. No, I know. I know. <laughs> well, actually, I've done that at times. I just say, by, by the way, you you know that you don't exist. You know, but it's really pointless to argue with somebody <laughs> to try exist. to convince them that they don't exist. They exist. <laughs> they exist, but in a virtual reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They exist. Exist in your story. That's right. Yeah. And higher order. It's a high. There's a whole virtual reality that Ray yeah, Kurzweil yeah. embodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and 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 actually, you know what? To finish off my three guys, you know, Kurzweil uh, and I said that uh, uh, Kurzweil knocked me up. What he did basically was in the book. He delivered uh, the baby. Yeah, he delivered. That's right. He delivered the baby. And and what I I mean, this this analogy really falls apart. It, it, it was that one because I love it when it falls apart. But but in any case, the point mean the thing is he was really important to my way of thinking. And what was so important about him was he changed my time scale. Is that I, all of the ideas that he had mentioned? I I've read science fiction for years. I, there's nothing new in any of this stuff. But right. I always just figured, yeah, yeah, a thousand years from now, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't till I read uh, Kurzweil that I realized, you know, it's. It's now. Now is the time to start thinking about this shit because this is going to happen in my lifetime. And if not mine, certainly in most of the people that are alive today. And that changed everything for me because all this stuff that was just sort of, yeah, interesting abstract possibilities for some remote future all of a sudden became more urgent. It is now. It's now. Now, now. is the time to do it. N-O-W. Yeah.
And that and and Kurzweil is the guy who brought that home for me. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Bois was the one that brought that home for me. Ah, God! And what year was that? That was 1964. <sighs> wow. Okay, so you well, that's right. You're a little older than me. 64. It was 67 I, when I. I'm, uh, I'm 77. I, yeah. Okay, man, you're in great shape, man. It's. It, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can tell in your voice too. I mean, you know, you. Well, of course, you. I hear this all the time too. They they can't believe I'm 67. Shit, when they hear right, me, right. when they hear you, they must shit. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> no, sometimes the voice betrays the years. You know. Really, I certainly don't hear it. No, well, it's about a. It's it's a kind of energy there. It's an energy. Yeah, exactly. It's the presence. Presence. Energy, man. It's energy. It's real simple. Some most people, when they get old, they just get drained out. They got nothing interesting to think about or do, and they, they're dead. I can't imagine that. No, neither can I. It's just I, it uh, feels like, and I'm sure you feel there's hardly enough time left to do anything. Well, I've I've got mixed feelings on that. I, I've got that, but I, at the same time, lately I've been really just enjoying doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, really, this this is a sabbatical year for me, and and you know, I'm just I don't have to do anything. Good for you. And I really am enjoying it. I don't know if I'm ever going to go off sabbatical. I may, I probably will, <laughs> but I may just stay on sabbatical. <laughs> you know, I may join you. <laughs> but on the other hand, I still feel like you know the world is so fucked up. There's so much to do. There's so much important work to be done, and I've got a couple little pieces of the puzzle that I should be putting in there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Highly encourage you. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm my that's that's certainly in my awareness, and and I do think I have something to put out there, and and, and enjoy uh, doing it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the issue is it's to, to try to find a way that I can do it with some sort of integrity, in a way that's fun, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I flirted well, with. Oh, well, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say I'm I've got to go in a couple minutes. Oh no. Um, yeah. Um, I've got a five o'clock call. Okay. Um, so what I want you to do is to prepare your statement. <laughs> well, no, I think I already have. It's real simple. The voice in your head is not something you are doing. It's something happening to you. Later we'll deal with about okay. this, this you. you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm total, total agreement with you. I'm in total harmony with you there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I noticed that, I, and thanks for the uh, the book. You're yeah. very welcome. It's going to be probably a little while before I get to it because I started reading Daniel Dennett's uh, Breaking the Spell, and that's doing a lot, so I'm going to finish that first. But I noticed that um, you said that the doc that you sent me was the doc that this book was printed from? Yes. It's not the same. It should be. Well, it should be, but it's not. The page numbering is different. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the table of contents breaks on different lines. Huh. So, I, I'll have I, to look I, at that. yeah, take, you might want to take a look at that and see what's going on. So. If I find one that's in harmony with oh, the book. Oh, I'll no. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't. Well, it, I just thought you should know because uh, something's not oh, going, a, something's not right there. That, well, that edition is so fucked up anyway. Yeah. Oh, and the only, the only thing I have to say is, is whether or not uh, Bois was born in a long cabin. 
You yeah. know that one? <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. No, I mean, did you know that one? No, that oh, one. I'm okay, just... it's right in the place where you talk about Bois, you say he's born in a long cabin. <laughs> he probably was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was long now that I think it about it. It was long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harry, we'll make another time and continue. Yeah, really, I, I there's a lot to talk about because uh, – well, there's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Good uh, talk to you, and I will be in touch. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye.